Uh, shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your kindness to us. You have shown us mercy beyond anything we could ever have deserved. You have brought us to this place, you have placed us in this fellowship, and you speak to us your word. We pray that this morning you might take from us all distractions and enable us to hear your voice. And we pray that your word might shape us, that we might be shaped in our thinking, but also in our living, so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus might be honoured amongst us. And this we pray in his name. Amen. What is the most terrifying prayer you've ever prayed? Uh, perhaps you've never actually prayed a prayer that terrified you. After all, uh, prayer is coming to our loving Heavenly Father, bringing our needs before him, thanking him for the grace that he's shown to us, interceding for others. Why would any prayer be terrifying? Well, perhaps when you know that if God answered it, it would put you in danger. Uh, my life is in your hands, Lord. If you take it, you would be doing what is right. If you give me more time to serve you here, you would be doing what is right. Do what seems good to you. A little terrifying, isn't it? I remember praying a prayer like that once in an ambulance on my way to hospital and I did not know at that moment how God would answer it. Just that he would be good and gracious and loving whichever way things went. The most telling example of that kind of prayer is, of course, the one Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his arrest, torture and death. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. But there are other terrifying prayers, aren't there? Take my life and place me wherever you want me to be. My life is not mine but yours, so I will go wherever and do whatever you prepare for me. And all of your plans for your life can be turned upside down as you find yourself heading out of your comfort zone, foregoing the expectations that you had for your life of ministry and taking seriously the call to go. And yet, dear friends, I want to suggest to you this morning that equal to them all, and more terrifying than most, is a request to God that you've already made several times this week. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or as Matthew records it in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It really is one of the most terrifying prayers in the entire Bible. How could you possibly pray this if you've understood the words? It would be fine, of course, if all we had was the first clause of the petition, forgive us our debts. We all want to be forgiven. We all need to be forgiven. And God has opened up the way so that we can be forgiven. But when we move to the second clause as we forgive our debtors. Do you really want to pray that? But this is the prayer that Jesus invites his disciples to pray in contrast to the petty, self-interested pretense of prayer from the hypocrites. 
Don't be like them, Jesus warned. Pray then like this. And one of the things he calls on them to pray is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, just as uh, we found with every other petition of the Lord's Prayer, and let me give you a spoiler, we're going to find it again in the final clause next week, this is not something that we can just rattle off if we truly understand what we're saying. It's rattled off day after day in our parliaments, and they most certainly don't understand what they're saying. The events of last week are enough to prove that. These words are not bland and meaningless but they're full of meaning and, quite frankly, they're terrifying. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to think hard about those words this morning. Uh, we need to realise just what it is we've been asking for, what we've been asking God to do whenever we prayed this prayer. We need to understand why these words are so dangerous. So I want to look at uh, what Jesus says here and elsewhere in Matthew about forgiveness under three headings, forgiveness matters, forgiveness sought, and forgiveness extended to others. Forgiveness matters, forgiveness sought, forgiveness extended to others. And this morning I've asked um, Isabel in if she'd share with us in a little while uh, the way in which this message intersects with life, at least at one point. So firstly, uh, forgiveness matters. Of course, um, each of the clauses of this prayer carries monumental significance for those who pray it. To understand God as our Father, to recognise he is God in heaven, to ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, to pray for our daily bread and to ask for deliverance from temptation and evil. Every one of those things is important, isn't it? Every one of those things matters. And yet, the particular importance of this petition about forgiveness is underlined. For of all the things that are mentioned in this prayer, what is the one thing Jesus chooses to highlight in the verses immediately following it? Take a look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's as if he says, don't miss what I've just said. Don't let it just wash over you. This little matter of forgiveness mustn't be overlooked. There is a critical link between the forgiveness that you seek and the forgiveness you extend to others. Don't miss that. Don't minimise or try to find a way around that Forgiveness is such a serious subject, you need the stark reminder that if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father receive your uh, forgive your trespasses. Now, Jesus will return to that subject later in the Gospel when he tells the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. You might remember that that parable ends with the warning so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. The story there uh, was of a servant uh, in unimaginable debt to his master. We don't know how that came about, uh, but it was a debt that was now impossible to repay. 
reckless irresponsibility and corruption might have been involved. But however it happened, this servant was in debt and he could not repay. But when he threw himself on the mercy of his master, the master took pity on him, released him, forgave him the debt, even though it was huge. It was a staggering, extravagant act of forgiveness. To those who witnessed these things, the master must have seemed as reckless and irresponsible as a servant had been. And yet when that very same servant came across a fellow servant whose debt to him was trifling in comparison, he began to choke him, insisting on payment. There was another cry for mercy and this time the first servant was, the position, was in the position of judge and he threw his fellow servant into prison demanding full payment immediately. When the master heard about it, he was furious. You would be, wouldn't you? Having forgiven so much and then hearing this. And so he called in the first servant, rebuked him in the sharpest terms possible. You wicked servant. And put him in jail. And at that point, Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness matters, you see. It's not a trifling thing. And you always owe more than you are owed. You always owe God more than anyone could ever owe you. One of the uh, interesting connections between the words in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and the parable of the unforgiving servant is the use of the words debt and debtor. It's not the word used by Luke when he records the prayer in Luke 11. In Luke, the reference is to our sins and to all who are indebted to us. <coughs> so why does Jesus use debt rather than sin in Matthew's account of the prayer? Well, to start with, there's a very significant overlap between the words. Um, in some contexts, sin and debt can be used almost interchangeably. But there's more than that, I think. The word debt highlights the reality of the obligation, the moral debt that sin produces for us, as well as our sense that those who've wronged us actually owe us. We owe God the penalty for our sins. That's the way Calvin put it. And though we might not be conscious of it, because we sin, we are in debt. And it is a debt we cannot repay, which is why we ask our Father to forgive it. I mean, if we could repay it, then we'd repay it. But we can't. It is beyond us. Forgiveness matters. We cannot survive without it. We need it desperately, and Jesus encourages us to pray for it. My friend who likes to uh, ask me, are you still confessing your sins? Um, do you still ask for forgiveness? Asked it a little differently last time I saw him. Are you still confessing your sins in ministry? I wondered for a moment what he knew. Um, <laughs> uh, what secret information he might have. He said, do you still ask forgiveness for those? The careless word the unfulfilled promise, the self-interested decision. Even in the midst of ministry, you are accruing debt and you cannot possibly repay it. And that is why forgiveness matters. 
Friends, do you need to be reminded of that this morning? With everything else that presses in and distracts us, do you need to remember that you owe a debt you cannot pay and you need to be forgiven, even as a Christian, even as a Christian in ministry? Well, secondly, forgiveness sought. Jesus encourages us to pray for forgiveness, not in order to undermine our confidence in being forgiven, not because our forgiveness is in doubt or anything like that, but because we know that we still sin. We are nowhere near perfect and forgiveness is as vital today as it has ever been for us. The thing I need most, more than my daily bread, is the forgiveness that only God can give. And the fact that it is anchored in Christ and that God promises it to all who will come to him and ask does not mean we can presume upon it and pretend there is now nothing to forgive. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, wrote, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is possible to seek all sorts of other things in ministry, to pray for all sorts of other things, power, gifts, opportunities, results, and to forget that the need that presses on us most, if only we'd recognise it, is to be forgiven. After all, we know the Gospel. Uh, we know that a full and free forgiveness is ours, ours now because of what Jesus has done for us. This is my blood of the covenant, Jesus said, in what remains one of the most powerful explanations of what was to happen at the cross. My blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We know that our forgiveness is secure. Its source and ground and means has been accomplished. And yet Jesus still invites his disciples those who live as the blessed ones, those who are members of his kingdom, he invites us to pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins. Forgiveness is the central blessing of the new covenant, promised long before by the prophet Jeremiah. Yet it's not automatic. It's not some impersonal mechanism that bypasses the relationship of the disciple and our Father in heaven. It is given freely and fully to all who will ask and Jesus encourages us to ask. Sometimes people from other Christian traditions have criticised Anglicans. Um, often they criticise Anglicans, but <laughs> um, Anglican liturgy in particular because of the prominence of confession and the prayer for forgiveness in each of the prayer book services. You're always confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness. You can't seem to get over it. It's unhealthy. It's a sign you haven't really understood. You've been forgiven. For that reason and for others, even in some Anglican circles, a confession of sin and a prayer for forgiveness are now rarely prayed by the congregation anymore. I've heard it said it's not appropriate for Christian people who already know they've been forgiven. And it's off-putting to unbelievers who may be visiting. So two seemingly powerful reasons to put that tradition behind. A robust assurance that we're already forgiven and a concern for the unbeliever who might be present, that they might somehow be offended. 
And yet Jesus invites those who know the blessings of the kingdom, those who enjoy a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees and who want nothing to do with the show of verbosity by the hypocrites to pray, forgive our, our sins, forgive us our debts because we know we're not perfect yet because we know our debt is very real and it is added to every day and it cannot be repaid and it can only be taken from us as far as the east is from the west by the God who promises that to us in the gospel. And we need to be reminded of that because one of the first things the devil wants you to forget and to leave behind is the awareness of your poverty and the need of God's forgiveness. But in this prayer, we've already prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. And for that reason, we ought to pray, forgive us our debts. Well, thirdly, forgiveness extended to others. In the end, uh, we do need the exhortation and we do need to hear the invitation to pray for forgiveness and to keep hearing it. But it is in the second clause of this petition that the real bite and the real terror lies. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the reason it is so terrifying is that we know that we find it almost impossible to forgive our debtors, don't we? To forgive those who have wronged us, who have really wronged us, to forgive those who sin against us. My tendency, uh, like yours, I suspect, is to minimise my own offence to God and to maximise the offence done to me by others. We exaggerate the debt owed to us that their behaviour was absolutely inexcusable and we treat lightly the debt we owe to God. We have so many excuses for what we do. And so we can resent or resist praying for forgiveness as often as we're called upon to do and we can resent and resist any call to forgive what others have done to us. Our natural tendency rather is to nurture a grudge, isn't it? to resent the person who's acted in such a way or said such a thing or, or posted that on Facebook and to want to see them humiliated in some way or other. They can't get off scot-free. They mustn't be allowed to. We can't just go on as if nothing happened. They need to be held to account and everyone needs to see that they were in the wrong. You ever felt like that? Ever thought those thoughts or something like them? But friends, that's not how we've been treated by God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Paul wrote to the Romans. While we're still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God himself bore the humiliation and the forgiveness that is offered to us is offered to us freely. We were children of wrath, just like the rest. And yet God, who is rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even if we think that those who've wronged us have no right to be forgiven. And Jesus does here describe them as debtors, as real debtors, not imaginary ones. We need to remember that neither do we have a right to be forgiven. 
And the point is, we have no right to seek forgiveness for ourselves if we withhold it from others. That's the point that Jesus underlines straight after this prayer. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We must take our own need of forgiveness seriously. Both the seriousness of the penalty I owe and the extravagant mercy that extends to me despite the magnitude of my debt. And the fact that we do take forgiveness seriously, the true test of whether we're taking forgiveness seriously at all, is whether we will forgive those who sin against us. John Stott put it this way, God forgives only the penitent and the chief evidence of penitence is a forgiving spirit. Now there's a rebuke, isn't it? My repentance in the light of the gospel must include repenting of my hardness of heart towards those who've wronged me. And if it does not, then have I really repented? Or put positively, a forgiven person is a forgiving person. We can never earn our own forgiveness by the forgiveness that we show to others. It is, in fact, entirely the other way around. We who know forgiveness cannot, must not, hold it back from others. The forgiving father produces forgiving children. And we are acknowledging that, declaring that we believe that when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So can we still just rattle off this petition from the Lord's Prayer? Can we pray this prayer and not put it into practice at precisely this point? Let me turn the screws just a little bit. Are there those who have wronged you, whether recently or sometime in the past, seriously wronged you, hurt you in a way that's bred resentment, bitterness and a desire for revenge whenever that opportunity will arise, are there people like that that you need to forgive because you've been forgiven yourself? Are you willing, as Calvin put it centuries ago, to banish to oblivion the remembrance of injustice? Because if you really take this petition seriously, you have bound together the forgiveness that we seek and the forgiveness that we extend to others. One last thing, and this is the most important thing of all to understand, I think. This prayer is not in the end about conforming God's forgiveness of us to the way we forgive others, cutting God's forgiveness down to the size of our forgiveness, so to speak. Only forgive as much as I've forgiven. It is in the end entirely the reverse. It's about conforming our forgiveness of others to the way we've been forgiven by Christ. We have no right to ask for forgiveness if we withhold it from others. But in Christ, we have been extravagantly forgiven. And that needs to change the way we treat those who are our debtors. So, friends, we need to pray this petition. It's good that we do that and with that we do it as often as we do because forgiveness matters. The forgiveness we seek and the forgiveness we extend to others.